All right, thank you. Thanks for clapping. Um, <clears throat> I was just realizing Clay uh, Harrington spoke here last week. How many of you were here for that? Okay, like all week long, I've been regretting scheduling myself to speak the week after Clay. <laughs> if you were here, you know what I mean. I mean, that it was a fantastic day. And um, if you're only here for the first service, he gave a different message second service. And both of them are up online, and the Saturday night message is as well. But I would strongly encourage you to listen to his second message, where he tells his story of, um, of dealing with prejudice as a little boy and how his mother taught him to do that. He tells the story of how he, as an African-American man, marrying a, a, a white girl from Oklahoma how her parents responded to him initially and how he, how, you know, how he had to have a right heart towards them and just how God opened up that relationship. But they're powerful messages. And um, yeah, I'm wondering how many people here had something happen in your life. Uh, we've had a couple of good, really good reports. Uh, one, a longtime uh, part of the church here, a man that has COPD, told me that uh, he, when, when he would go to the Y... 15 minutes of exercise, and he's like on the floor uh, huffing and puffing, and he can't go any further. And he said he got prayer for that last week, and this week he went to the YMCA on Tuesday and was on an elliptical, I think it was, for 60 minutes and had no, no ill effects whatsoever from a COPD. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? I like to see stuff like that where it's real clear cut. I mean, I love seeing headaches healed and back pain gone, but when it's something like that that's just so clear cut and, and, you, and you see, well, there was a healing that took place there. That, that raises my faith and it stirs me to have higher expectation and boldness in, in what God wants to do. So uh, someone else on Wednesday night shared about um, being released from depression and um, thoughts of suicide and, and waking up every morning and, and this person shared this in front of the whole group, but waking up every morning and first thoughts were, you know, this is the day. And she got released from that last week and has been sleeping well and waking up joyful. So isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yeah. What we're going to do this fall is to have an emphasis on being delivered from like strongholds in our lives. And, and that's going to be in the month of September. We're going to have a few messages on how strongholds form in our lives and how the enemy takes advantage of them. And then we're going to have a weekend. We have a guest speaker coming in uh, who will be here for Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday morning. And it will just be a conference on actually breaking free from things that, that kind of bind our hearts up. We're going to call it a deliverance conference. And, and it's, going to, it's going to all be focused on... Uh, you know, how the enemy does use uh, wrong thought patterns. A stronghold is what we would consider to be a wrong thought, something that we're believing, something that we're assuming about life or about God that isn't true. And then the enemy uses those things to attack us. And so that weekend's going to be all about getting free from spiritual attack in those areas and getting free from the stronghold, the, the, the wrong belief system itself. And then we're going to go into a six-week emphasis called Power Outside the Walls. And we're going to focus on how to actually carry what you experience here during worship and in our services. How do you carry that out into life? You know, in a variety of ways. You know, how do you do that just in the workplace? 
How do you, how do you release God's power and carry God's power, life-giving power, into your family life, into your neighborhood? And so we're going to spend six weeks focused on that, and then we're going to end that all with um, a, a great conference. We have a couple of p- potential speakers that uh, we're going to have in for that. And so I'm looking forward to that next fall. That's going to be exciting. But um, back to Clay, how, how many of you would say that your life was touched in some significant way last week? Anybody? Just put your hand up. I'm not going to call on you, but uh, okay, that's cool. Look at that. All, all across the room here, people. And uh, one of the things I do want to ask you to do, if something significant happened, go to our website. You can record the story, and then you can upload it to our website, and uh, we, we just want to keep track of these stories. So uh, please do that for us, okay? I'm off center. That's going to bother me the whole morning if I don't get back here. <laughs> All right, so how many of you went away wondering about some of the things you saw? Like somebody shook or maybe somebody fell down. I can't remember how much of that happened in the first service or not. Okay, anybody else? Nobody, wow, that's awesome. Uh, Well, what I wanted to do today was to talk about how the Holy Spirit does touch our lives and and what's happening. If you've ever seen, if you you haven't seen it here, you've heard about people that fall down or people that shake or or different things like that. And and so I wanted to take some time and ask, uh, you know, well, uh, basically just the question, what, what is happening? You know, why is that happening? And, you know, it seems kind of weird and scary. And so we're going to look at that today. And the first question I wanted to answer that, um, that I thought moves us that direction is, why do we emphasize the Holy Spirit so much here at this church? You know, why, why is the Holy Spirit someone that we emphasize as much as we do? And something we got to say right at the outset on this is, you have to understand this, every real believer, everyone who has accepted Christ has the Holy Spirit in them. He is a person you can't get more or less of a person, all right? So at the moment you, you receive Jesus as your Savior, at that very moment, it's the Holy Spirit that gives you a new heart. He's the one who not only gives you a new heart, but he's the one who reorients, begins to, begins to renew your mind and change, change the way you think and give you, you the ability to put off old thinking and put on new thinking. And so the Holy Spirit comes in to every believer, but in fact, Romans 8, 9 is a verse that validates that. It says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so if you belong to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. It's possible to have the Holy Spirit, but not really experience him. It's possible. Well, think of this. You can own things that you don't use. You, you can have things in your possession that you never actually experience because you don't knew, use them. Uh, think of this. A, a Christmas present gets lost. You don't open it and somehow it gets put into the closet. And in April, you discover it. And you open it up and it's like the greatest present you've ever received. But for those first four months of the year, you, di- you had it. It was in your possession, but you didn't experience it. I had that happen with a pair of shoes once. Uh, I'm still still using them. They they have um, moved down the pecking order now to be my outside working shoes. But I bought these shoes about 12 years ago, and I was in a hurry. I put them on. They felt okay. I bought them, took them home, and the first day I wore them, I didn't like them. 
They just didn't feel right. And so I put them in the closet, and they sat in the closet for like seven years. I just kept, re- I got other shoes to wear, of course. But finally, I ran out of tennis shoes, and I didn't have the money to buy a new pair. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to try these. I'm going to just have to suck it up and wear them. And so I got them out, and I wore them. And after the first day, I thought, well, they aren't as bad as I remembered. And by two or three days, they were the most comfortable shoes I've ever owned. (laughs) So, you see, you can own something and not use it. Now, I know I have several things of my father's at home. My father passed away in 1988. But I have a watch of his that just doesn't fit my lifestyle exactly. But I value it, and I keep it for sentimental reasons. And I'll pass it on to one of my sons someday, maybe my daughter. But... um, I have it, but I'm not experiencing it. I value it, but I'm not not using it. And and some of us are kind of like that when it comes to the Holy Spirit. You know, maybe you think theologically, yeah, it's a comfort to know the Holy Spirit's in me. That's all I need to know. I'm good. I'm going to move on with life. But it's just like a sentimental thing. You, You haven't really experienced His presence like, like some of you did really experience his presence last week for, for maybe the first time for some. But we can have the Holy Spirit in us without actually experiencing him. And yet God's word talks about experiencing him. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Tasting and seeing are an experience. And, and you know, there's a place in the Bible that says, my heart longs for God. You know, my, my heart desires God. And you know at the very beginning in Genesis, when, um, when God created Adam and Eve, it says that he came to them in the cool of the evening. Now, that was a relational coming. It's, 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 it wasn't just a one-time thing. It was the thing God did with them. He came and they spent time together in the beautiful part of the day. See, from the very beginning, God has wanted an interactive, intimate relationship with us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who actually brings that about. He is third member of the Trinity. He is God present with us, God in us, God who makes everything Jesus did for us, he applies it to our lives. And so we emphasize the Holy Spirit a lot here because it's, it's so important that we have this relational, experiential connection with God's heart, heart to heart. I know I went for a lot of years as a pastor, believing that the only thing that was important was that people had their heads filled with the right knowledge. And so I would spend 25 or 30 hours a week studying. And I didn't, not only did I not believe God spoke today, like in, in the sense of, of speaking words or sentences to us, giving thoughts to us, I didn't believe he even nudged us. I thought the only thing he does is this kind of like underground work of opening our minds to see scripture. And so I, for all those years, I studied and studied and studied. And it wasn't bad. I mean, it was wonderful studying. And, and people's lives were changed because the Holy Spirit was there. He was present. But as, as the years went on, I, I started to have this hunger develop in my heart. And basically, it just came down to this. If this is all one-way communication then that's pretty frustrating. If it's just me giving my prayers to God and then reading a book he wrote 2,000 years ago and trying to understand it more deeply, then 
that's, that's pretty frustrating because I wanted a relationship with God. And, and as my heart desired that more and more and more, the thing that I opened up to eventually was that the Holy Spirit does speak to people today, that he does touch our lives in a real way today, and that that's a beautiful and wonderful thing that releases his promises in our life, that releases his joy into our lives and his peace and his gifts and his power and, and boldness. And do you know what? Boldness comes from love. Did you know that? Boldness comes from love because love overcomes fear. And if I love you enough, I'm not going to be afraid. If I love you enough, I'm not going to allow fear to, to keep me from coming to you and, and mending relationship and, uh, and coming and praying with expectation that God's going to do something. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who releases all of that into our lives. And we need the Holy Spirit. There was um, a famous preacher named D.L. Moody. And uh, he had already become famous. And he had a large church in Chicago. And, and he was reaching thousands of people. And he went to do a series of evangelistic messages uh, in a city. I believe it was New York City. And two little old ladies, as the story is told sat in the front row every, every service, and after one, after one service where he had preached, they went up to him and said, we're praying for you, Mr. Moody. And he was a little insulted by that because he was, you know, the big guy, the, you know, the big man on campus. And he said, don't pray for me, pray for all of them. They need Christ. And they said, oh, no, we're praying for you because you need the Holy Spirit. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And that offended him all the more. But they kept praying, and they kept coming and telling him that until one day he opened his heart up, and he went back to his room, and he said he had this experience where he felt like there were just buckets of liquid love being poured over him. And he said it was so intense and such a powerful experience, he had to say, God, stop, because he was afraid he was going to die. It was such a powerful experience. From that moment on, Moody says, I preached the same sermons exactly the same sermons in exactly the same way. But he said, after that, instead of a dozen people getting saved, a hundred would. He said, after that, when I would speak, the, 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 the response was multiplied just out, out of proportion to what had happened before. And, and so we all need the Holy Spirit. Now, we know theologically Moody had the Holy Spirit in him, and their, their language might not have been quite right. They might have been off a little in their theology, but you know, I've found that God doesn't quite mind people having nuances of theology wrong as much as sometimes I do. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's really the truth. So, uh, yes, yeah, so we need the Holy Spirit. We need to experience the Holy Spirit. I, you know, just as my, I, I need to experience my wife's touch. You know, I need her to put her hand on my shoulder. I need her to hug me and kiss me. I need that. That's, that's part of relationship. And I need that with God as well. And the Holy Spirit is the one who brings that to us. And so we emphasize the Holy Spirit for, uh, for all of these reasons. And Jesus himself had this strong emphasis on the Holy Spirit. In fact, two times after his resurrection, he told his apostles in Luke 24, you can turn there and read at Luke 24, 49, he told his disciples, his apostles and his other disciples, that they shouldn't go anywhere or try to do anything until the Holy Spirit came on them. And then later in, in, in Acts, he, tell, he repeats it. He tells them again. He says, stay in Jerusalem. 
don't go anywhere. Now, he's already told them to go into all the earth. He's already given them that commission. Go into all the world, uh, preach the gospel to all the nations, making disciples, teaching them everything I taught you. But then he says, wait, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And so Jesus had this strong emphasis on the Holy Spirit's power and, and life in each one of us. And, and so we feel like we should have that too. Now, it all, these promises, these uh, encouragements that Jesus gave his disciples to wait, all came to, to culmination in Acts 2 uh, for them. They experienced the Holy Spirit's presence in a powerful way. And there were a number of things that happened when the Holy Spirit came and baptized them. That word baptized can be used to describe what happens at the moment of salvation. Because at the moment of salvation, what the Holy Spirit does is he gives me a new heart, a kingdom heart. And he takes me out of the kingdom of darkness and he puts me into the kingdom of God, which means the realm of the Holy Spirit. So at that moment, I am theologically, technically sort of baptized in the Holy Holy Spirit. But he also baptizes us in, in this sense when we actually experience it. And so think of that Christmas illustration. You find that present that you actually received at Christmas, and now it's April, May, June, and you're opening it, and it's the best present you ever had. You might say at that moment, hey, this is Christmas. You know, I'm experiencing Christmas again, or I'm experiencing Christmas. And so even though we are baptized in the strictest theological sense, at the moment that we come to know Jesus... When we first experience the Holy Spirit in, 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 in some real felt way, we, we refer to that as being baptized in the Spirit because that's the moment when I really begin to experience the Holy Spirit. I begin to experience the realm of the Spirit in a dynamic way in my own life personally. And so in Acts 2, uh, Jesus told them to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But then when it happens, it's called the filling of the Spirit. And so... These other things happened with it. There were flames of fire that appeared and came down on each one of the disciples. There was the sound of a strong, strong wind that filled the building. Those were two just like physical uh, phenomena. And they all spontaneously spoke in tongues. It doesn't, there's no indication here that they had to be trained how to do it or, or nurtured into it. But just spontaneous. And they were all filled with incredible joy. And have you ever seen anybody that is so filled with joy? Or think of someone that is just filled with laughter. And, and they are laughing so hard that they just double over. They just can't stand up. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever experienced that? Where you're laughing so hard you cry. Because of joy. Because of joy. And so there's this joy that they're experiencing. And the whole thing... This whole empowering of the Holy Spirit that came on them did not leave them in the room. They were in an upper room at the time when it happened. It, it didn't, they, they didn't just stay there and say, hey, let's just stay here forever. This is fun. This is awesome. We'll have services every night. You know, we, they can last as long as we want them to because this is so awesome. No, what happened was the Holy Spirit led them outside into the street. And it says that people came because they heard the loud noise. And so it, 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 it sounds like it was a real ruckus. 
And, and they're, they are overcome with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so some of them are, they're laughing as they walk, come out of the building. Some of them are, are so overcome with the presence of God that they're stumbling. Some of them are, might be, you know, might be leaning on each other. And it just looks like a bunch of people that have just come from a, you know, big party. They just left the bar and they're walk, walking to the parking lot. And, and that's what some people said. There were two heart responses to the whole thing. There were people there with open hearts that said, this, this is amazing, what can it mean? And then there were other people there, the kind of people Jesus would have um, corrected, like the religious people, and they're saying they're drunk. You know, they have to be drunk. Look at how they're acting. And, and so there were these, this physical impact on people that made it look like they're actually drunk. And so all of this ended up with Peter preaching a message. And there's something really interesting to note, and that is this. Peter had to get undrunk in order to give that message. If you read that message, that's not the message of a drunk man. That's not the message of somebody who's out of control and, and is going to fall down at any moment. And so somehow, although Peter was part of this whole thing, and he's being impacted just like everybody else is, at the right moment, he was able to just, you know, shake himself or whatever he did, take a deep breath and say, okay, all right, got to get, relax here right now. I got I, I to stand up and, and say something. And so he was able then to stand up and preach a powerful message where 3,000 people came to Christ. That, that was the end result of the whole thing. Now, you might say, well, okay, that happened there. That was like at the beginning of the church. That was the, the moment that the church started, and, uh, and yet... At the same time, um, it, it you know, probably isn't for today because it was just to start the church. Now, if you look at Acts 4, you'll see that that's not true. Because in Acts 4, they gathered together and they prayed. Re- read the chapter. It's a powerful prayer. After some persecution, they come back and they're all praying together. And in Acts 4, it says that the building they were in shook. Okay? The first time, it was tongues of fire and, um, and a rushing sound of wind, and this time the building shakes. So th- these things don't always, it's, there's not like a pattern that says if it's really the Holy Spirit, you're going to see tongues of fire, or if it's really the Holy Spirit, you're going to see the building shake. There's no pattern like that. It's just it's what happened at that moment in, in that setting, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't say what the people actually did, but it does say this, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I believe the author was counting on the fact that we had just seen two chapters earlier what it looks like when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and we recognized that there was, some, you know, there was some laughter, there were people falling down, and, and all of that. But once again, it says, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And so once again, the Holy Spirit coming pushed them out into the street. They were in a building, the building shakes. They are emboldened. They get boldness. And, and as I said a moment ago, boldness comes from love. If, you love. if you love someone enough, you'll be bold. You know, the same person that would run out of a burning building if their child's in the building would run into that building because of love. And love gives boldness. And so they're filled with God's love and power. And so now they're back out on the street again, just proclaiming the message of Jesus with incredible boldness. Now, as you think about all of that, 
Uh, you could ask, is, is this for us today? And that's really the second question I had. Are these things for us today? And I, I just want to say that Jesus' final instructions to his disciples, apostles were, teach them everything I taught you. Everything. And Jesus taught them a lot about the Holy Spirit. And he told them the Holy Spirit's coming. He's going to come. And when he comes, you'll be empowered. He told them to wait for that Acts 2 experience. And so he taught them all of that, and they were instructed to pass that on to us. And down through the centuries, we receive that today. And so what was for them is for us today as well. In Acts 2.39, when Peter was giving his message on the day of Pentecost, when they first were filled with the Holy Spirit like that, uh, Peter said this. Uh, he, said, You'll receive, he said, basically, repent and accept Christ. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, and the promise he's referring there to several times is stated, it's called the promise of the Father. See, in the Old Testament, God the Father promised he was going to send the Holy Spirit to be on people and in people. And so that's a key phrase, the promise of the Father, because it's, it's used several times. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Now, those who are far off, beyond Israel, outside, outside the realm of Judaism, where Peter and James and John and the other apostles were focused at this moment in time. And, and so I would say, I'm far off. You're far off. We're, we're uh, 2,000 years and how many thousands of miles distant from where that happened and where Peter made that promise. And so this promise comes to us today. And, and all you have to ask yourself is, you know, when it, when it says all those who are called, it, it really it's referring to all those who respond to the gospel. So have you responded to the gospel? Have you received Jesus? Because if you have, then he's saying this promise is for you. The same promise they received in Acts 2 is for you and for me today. Now, the, the third question I had is, why does the Holy Spirit make people fall down? Why does the Holy Spirit make people act drunk? shake, laugh, you know, other things that you might see happen. Why is that? Well, I've already noted their physical signs like the flames of fire, the burning and uh, the building shaking and, um, and, 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 and um, such like that, the sound of wind. And, and today there, there has been people that have experienced gold dust. We've had that happen here where someone's hand just starts to sparkle and, um, and, I mean, I think it's weird that flames of fire would come. I mean, I, I would be a little bit nervous if the building started to shake right now. And so there are things there that would be scary, I think. But uh, it, the streets of heaven are paved with gold. So it makes sense to me that as a token of God's love or encouragement, there might be times when he would reveal his presence by putting something that looks like gold dust. I don't know that it's ever been verified that it's actual gold dust. I not aware of that, but, but it looks like that. Okay, so that doesn't surprise me. Uh, there are other, other like general manifestations like that that have happened. And, um, and, and I, you know, I can accept that that could happen at least and, and, and not look at that and think, well, no, God wouldn't do that. Now, there are physical responses that people have, like shaking. And um, I know there's a verse in the Old Testament where the writer says, I tremble at your word. And in 
Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, has a vision of God. And what does he do? He says, woe is me, for I am undone. And Isaiah, you can't help but picture him just trembling before God in this vision of God and falling down before God. And when he says, I am undone, the word literally means I'm coming apart at the seams. And so somehow Isaiah felt like uh, all of his joints were just breaking apart. He felt like he was coming apart. His physical being was, uh, was, was, was just breaking into pieces. And so when we come into God's presence, our physical bodies are not really designed to experience it. Now, our hearts and our spirits are because they're new, but our physical bodies haven't yet been glorified. So when Jesus returns, our bodies will be made like Jesus's body, and then our bodies will be able to tolerate God's presence. But most of the time when we see things happening, like shaking or falling or whatever, uh, most of the time... That's not God doing it to that person. It's not like, it's not like God's going to say, well, I'm just going to grab you and I'm just going to shake you for 10 minutes. No, it's that person's physiology responding to the presence of God. Now, there are times when God does just grab a person and shake them. And that's normally when that happens, it's because they're entering a new phase of life or some new call of God. That's happened to me a couple of times, one time in particular at a church planting seminar. And I, you know, I look back on it, it was just during the seminar, I'm sitting there and I just start to sweat and just feel you know, God's presence on me so heavy and I start shaking and, and I, I mean, I, I probably could have stopped that, I don't know. But uh, in that context, in that setting, I didn't want to stop it. And, um, and, and it was an anointing for church planting, which was fulfilled when we planted this church. But that was a, a new thing. And so when there's a new thing coming, then oftentimes there's some dramatic things that happen in a person that is more or less God doing it to them. But most of the time, it's just us responding to God's presence. Now, the problem comes in this. When I experience God's presence and I shake in a certain way, let's say, and it's just the first time and, and, and I'm just, you know, I don't know what to do with this. But I go with it because it's just, you know, just the first time it's ever happened. But then if that person then begins to associate uh, shaking with the presence of God, then they will have a tendency psychologically, every time the presence of God comes, then they start going into that mode of shaking. And, um, and uh, this happened in Champaign when I was on staff there. There was one uh, young woman that every time the Holy Spirit... Uh, came, she fell on the ground and doubled up like she was in birthing pains. Now, that, that's, that's one of the things that happens when God's anointing someone for a new ministry. But for her, she couldn't let go of that. Every time the Holy Spirit came, she fell on the ground, moaning and groaning in, in discomfort of like birth pains. And my good friend and one of my mentors in all of this, Bill Jackson, um, he, he talked to, to her, Pam. And he asked me to be part of it so I could learn. And he explained to her, yeah, that was God doing that to you that that first night, that Saturday night service that we had. But you don't have to respond that way every time. In fact, you're hindering the flow of the Holy Spirit by responding that way every time. Because you've limited what he wants to do. And he said, what you need to do is when you start to feel God's presence, you start to feel your body tense up, just sit back. 
take a deep breath and just relax, rest. And what you're going to see is the prophetic gifting in you is going to increase dramatically if you'll do that. But you can't use that gifting as long as you're lying on the floor groaning. And so she took that to heart and she applied it and it was her prophetic gifting skyrocketed after that. Uh, now, now what I'm, what I'm saying is that we don't want to have a presumptive response to the Holy Spirit's presence. As I said, the first time it might just be, I'm just reacting, and, but, but if I make that the norm, then every time the Holy Spirit comes, I have to you know, go into this. Because, not, not that I have to, but I go into it because I, you know, I feel like, well, that's what I do when the Holy Spirit comes. That's how he works, and I'm resisting him if, if I don't just go for it. But if I realize that most of the time it's me responding to his presence, then, then I can recognize that I don't have to respond that way. And if I don't respond that way, I'm not hindering his presence. In fact, I might be enhancing the flow of his presence in my life and in the lives of others to bless them. And there is a verse in um, Corinthians that says this. Let me find it here. Yeah, verse 1 Corinthians 14, 32. Uh, and in that whole chapter, what Paul's arguing for there is that in any public setting meeting, which, you know, like Sunday mornings would fall into that category, you have to be concerned with people that come in that don't know Jesus. And, and if they see things that are weird, then it, it really hinders them coming to Christ. And, and so he says this, the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. It's 1 Corinthians 14, 29. And, and what that means is that we are in a cooperative work with the Holy Spirit. It's not him overpowering us. As I said, there are times that happens, but they're rare. It is a cooperative work with the Holy Spirit. And, and so what he's saying there is that uh, literally, he says, if one person's giving a prophetic word and another one gets, gets a word, the first one has to sit down and stop. Well, if I'm the first one and I've only given half the word I got, what do you mean I have to sit down and stop? God didn't tell me to sit down and stop yet. Yes, he did, right here in 1 Corinthians 14. And, and so what he's saying is that it's a cooperative thing between us and the Holy Spirit. I know for me, I think it, when you start to experience the Holy Spirit, you get a tell. And a tell would be like some little thing that's a signal that the Holy Spirit's working. For me, I, I just get a shiver down my back. And, and then I'll stop and I'll say, did the air conditioning just come on? Am I feeling sick? Am I getting a cold? And if none of those things are true, then I recognize, okay, the Holy Spirit's starting to move in the room. And I look and I start looking. Now, if I wanted to, have, that shiver could become a shake. It could become a, a you know, whatever it could become. But, I'm, man, God speaks to me that way. It doesn't need to be more than a shiver. It doesn't need to be more than that. Okay? So, um, so at any rate, I have just a couple stories to tell you. One, right when I first came into the gifts of the Holy Spirit and all of this, Bill Jackson, who wrote the book, The Quest for the Radical Middle, took me to Florida with him. And, um, and while I'm there, we're at this conference, a thousand people at this conference, and Bill's the speaker. And so he arranged for me to stand up and tell my story, which I did. And then, they, then the leaders of the conference come up and start praying for me. 
And I'm thinking, okay, that's a nice prayer time to say amen. I'll go back and sit down. But they kept praying. And they kept praying and kept praying. And we're about two minutes into this, and I realized they want me to fall down. And I thought, what am I going to do? You know, I'm sitting, standing up here in front of a thousand people. I just want to get back to my seat. Now, if that happened to me today, I would just stop and I'd just say, thanks for praying, guys. And, and I'd walk back to my seat. But at the time, I had no idea what to do. So I thought, I hope there's someone standing behind me. <laughs> now, the only way I know to get off the stage is to fall down. <laughs> so I just go bang. And fortunately, there was someone standing there. Um, you know, I, I just didn't know what to do. I don't think God was mad at me about that. I was a baby in all of this stuff. But uh, if, you're, if you ask the question, is any of this fake or is any of this just put on? I'd say a lot of it is, you know, sometimes anyway, it's, it's just people acting out. Sometimes it's just people out of their pain in their heart or whatever. They, they're, they're, they're doing something and it's kind of like acting out. But um, and probably there are sometimes people are just, just trying to get attention. But I, I think that's probably not as frequent as just people in, in an innocent way thinking that that's how they're supposed to respond to the Holy Spirit. But the first weekend we went to the Champagne Vineyard, this is my second story. Um, we had our son, Brent, who was 12 years old at the time, and Wilson was with us. He was three at the time. And they had services on Saturday nights that they called Joel's Place after the Joel prophecy in Acts 2. And um, I'm, I'm moving around and watching what's happening, and I saw Brent lying on the floor up front. And he laid there for probably 20 minutes. And he was kind of like trembling lightly. And they really didn't get to talk to him about it. But the next night, we're driving home. And Lori and I are deciding, we're saying, look, let's move to Champagne. Let's just go and pack up everything we own. And let's move to Champagne so we can learn more about Holy Spirit ministry. And when we said that, Brent popped up out of the back of the van and said, last night, I got peace about that. He said, every time you guys have talked about moving... I would get sick to my stomach. But last night, wow, he said, that was something. He said, Chad and I used to watch this on TV and would say, look at those people, they're faking it. He said, but when it happens to you, it's something else. Then he shared this, that while he was lying there on the floor, he had a vision of a white lamb that walked up to him, walked through his body, came up... (laughs) the other side black, and then was led off. And Brent said in the vision, he knew it was being led off to be, to be killed. And, you know, what a powerful vision. And this is my 12-year-old son experiencing this. So I, I want to say that uh, there are powerful encounters we can have with God if we just open our hearts up to it. And uh, that doesn't mean that you have to fall down or shake or anything like that. In fact, John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, did not value falling down. He said, we don't want them to fall down. We want to keep praying for them to so get them a chair. And, and so it's not like we don't have this high value for people, you know, falling down, uh, down just spontaneously and hitting the ground. But one last story I'll share with you, and then we're going to move on. Um, I went to a Rodney Howard Brown conference back in the days when I was at Champagne. And he had all the pastors line up in this long row up front, probably 50 pastors across the auditorium. And then he went down the row praying for everyone. Everyone he prayed for hit the floor. Bang, 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 bang. He got about four people away from me. And I was so overwhelmed with God's presence 
that I absolutely could not stand up. I just couldn't. I mean, I was willing, I was trying to stand up because I wanted him to pray for me, but I couldn't. I just started, I was just falling backwards. But the guy behind me grabbed me and pushed me back up. <laughs> and so that Rodney Howard's coming down praying for people. And as he's coming to pray for people, this Holy Spirit lifted off me. He prayed for me and I just stood there. And at the end of it, every other pastor had fallen down except me. And, I, and I'm left standing there. But... Um, yeah, there's a lot to this we don't know and don't understand. And we want to be really mindful of the fact that you know, we're here to see people come to Jesus. And that means when somebody walks in here, uh, we want to do things that are in normal life, translatable to normal life. That's why I say if you want to jump up and down and cheer during worship, people do that at Bengals games. Go ahead. Um, I've said anything short of painting your chest, Jesus, <laughs> ripping your shirt off is okay. In some settings, that's probably okay. But you see, if a person, an unbeliever might come in and they might not think, well, this isn't what church is supposed to be, um, but that's okay. But I don't want them to come in and, and see weird things and we're all acting like they're normal things. Does that make sense? Okay, so we'll talk more about that at some point in the future. But uh, all this to say that I really do believe God wants us all to have a deeper experience with him and a deeper experience with him comes through the Holy Spirit. And I just encourage you to just say, yes, I open myself up to you, Holy Spirit. I want to experience more of you because I want more of Jesus and I want greater intimacy with the Father. So we're going to go into our, mess, or into our um, uh, offering right now. The worship team is going to come out. So if you grab the offering baskets on the left of your aisle and pass them down. Just, just, just as you put your offering in, just God bless that offering. We just say, Holy Spirit, bless it and multiply it in Jesus' name. I want you to know you can give online. We have the app, and a lot of people are giving through the app, and that's, that's a wonderful thing, a wonderful way to give. But um, yeah, just bless, bless these offerings now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, God, that your love surrounds us. Holy Spirit, you fill us with the love of the Father. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite our prayer teams down right now. So if you would make your way down to the front. Um, I have a few things to share that we believe God's doing today. Second wind. Some people need a second wind. And um, that, that was a word that was given to us in the prayer time. And what you need to understand is that you might be looking at life and thinking, I can't make it, I can't go on, I'll, you know, I'll never be restored to the energy or strength or encouragement I had at one point. But you need to understand that a second wind is stronger than at the beginning. Have you ever done that where you've pushed through the tired phase and then you hit even a higher level of strength? And that's what God wants to release to several of us today. So if that speaks to you, please come on down and get prayer. Um, second thing is this, and it's related to depression, people's, uh, people who need to be freed of depression, and uh, just in general, emotional issues and struggles that we have. And then on the physical realm, uh, kind of the physical front, I had a picture of someone's mouth and a tongue and a sore on, on the right-hand side of the tongue that won't heal. So if I'm right, if I'm wrong, then okay. But if I'm right and you're here and that's you, then come on down and let us pray for you. I think God wants to heal that today, okay? So um, any other needs you have, we want to pray for everything. 
any, any need you have. So I'm going to pray right now, and then we'll end our service. But uh, Father God, again, thank you for your love and your healing. Why don't you stand up with me, okay? Thank you for your love. Thank you for your healing. Thank you that we get to worship you, and our hearts are lifted by that. I just pray, Holy Spirit, for your presence in every person's life here as they leave here and throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, come up for prayer, and we'll see you next week.